What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and today I've got a very special guest with me. My guest today is Sally Needham. Afternoon, Sally, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, yeah. Great to be chatting to you again, um, albeit under <laughs> some challenging circumstances. But Sally, just for those maybe aren't familiar with you, um, would you mind me sharing just a bit of a background about who you are, what you do, and then we'll go from there. Yes. Um, so I come from a coaching background. Um, I um, played when I was younger and then um, went to university and college and did all my sports uh, well degree and then decided I'd try and see if I could get into coaching and give myself a couple of years and finally got a well got a did I worked for my parents in the morning doing admin and then worked as like in schools and stuff in the afternoon doing PPA worked at a girls centre of excellence so I did all the little jobs and then fortunate enough to get a full-time role at the David Beckham Academy in London. So worked in London for a little bit and did a couple of, uh, a summer or two outside, out in LA. Um, and then I went to work at the FA um, 2007, uh, part of the new recruit of 66 coaches to work um, on the skills programme, which was Trevor Brookings initiative, uh, which I loved. So working five to 11. So school supporting teachers after school clubs holiday clubs uh, anything to do with five to elevens we was around uh, which were brilliant and then um in about 2017 i think it was not sure um uh county coach developer role come up at the fa so i moved into that job and uh, which was basically delivering coach education in my area of derbyshire 
So I'd lead and deliver on um, level ones, level two, UA for B and supporting coaches and my tutors. And then um, from a change from last time we spoke, I think uh, the FA went through a bit of a restructure last um, September time, October time. Um, and for the last couple of years, my focus has very much been around psych and social. So I went and did a child development course that looked at uh, social attachment, latency neuroscience and uh, how the brain develops and child development and things like that. And I went and did that away from the FA was a, uh, through a company called Thrive that did uh, worked in schools with um, practitioners to develop emotional and social needs and support children that needs that extra support. Um, and for the last couple of years, I've been applying it into um, football. So I did a master's in it and an application in it and been doing other little bits. And so when we had a bit of a restructure, it was now or never to kind of take uh, the redundancy and go alone and see what I could do. So I still work back for the FA doing coach ed. So this week I've just delivered uh, on the B license. Um, but my role now is kind of a consultant. So um, fortunate enough that Chef United came knocking, uh, well, had been knocking for a little while. So sorted that out and I do two, three days now at Chef United. Um, doing implementing all the neuroscience into the academy from nines to 23s and working across the board with all the staff and the MDT team and then I do all the little bits so I went into Akron to Stanley a few weeks ago and uh, West Brom's been in touch today and um, so yeah and then I've done some work for other organizations and obviously back at the FA so very much focusing now and I'm just in the middle of doing a PhD um, so I'm just focusing very much now about the neuroscience application into the football and looking at it through uh, a neuroscience lens, but with the child development aspect of it as well. So, yeah, so that's where I am. Amazing. Now, thank you very much for that very um, in-depth, brief intro. Uh, but, you know, initially, obviously, we've had a conversation before about this. Um, you know, the key thing that I guess interested me in, in your work was actually that neuroscience piece, that piece around the social psych element. So maybe you just talk yeah. about maybe to start with like, what initially piqued your interest in, in, in that area, because it is becoming, uh, I think, probably a more popular area for coaches to look at right now. It probably is the, the in thing, if you like, for lack of a better way of describing it. Um, yeah, you. <laughs> yeah uh, I, I was very fortunate when I'm in the skills programme um, to get chosen to be one of, um, the, on the pilot of the Advanced Youth Award, so at the time, Pete Sturgis, obviously still five to elevens lead at the minute, um, but he he picked a couple of us to be on the five to elevens pilot. Um, so we went on the AYA and it was the first real, we'd done the youth awards, but the first real psych social in depth and I loved it. Um, so we went back and I were delivering all the stuff in the, with the boys and the girls in the skills programme and I was working at Sheffield United RTC with the girls and I'd, we'd done a couple of years and I'd done the psych courses at the FA and I were reading books and I just, everything around that just got totally engrossed by it. And I got to a point where nobody really could tell me the answers on the how and the why. So I feel, and this is just my opinion and how I uh, explain it is applied psychology or psychology is very much grass level. So surface level grass approach, whereas neuroscience for me is very much the soil level. So what's 
what's underneath the surface and what's happening in our brains and our bodies and our nervous system. So, as I said, I was fortunate that uh, my best friend um, was training and delivers all the training in the in the brain development. And I come home one night from Sheffield United and had a player who I love to pieces now and we get on so well. Um, and I think she values the psych and social now, but the time I used to come home and I used to be literally nearly in tears thinking she's, I just can't connect with her. Like, I don't really know what's going on. Like her behaviours are just, they're, they're like, they're ruining my sessions and the girls. And my friend just said to me, I think you're looking at it wrong way. And so we, we started on it. She unpicked a few bits for me and I'm like, all right so I decided then I'd go and do the course and then it took me a while because obviously the course wasn't applied wasn't into sports so it took me a while to get the understanding of the neuroscience how then it applies into the football and then now obviously um it's great at Sheffield United because I'm doing delivering it every week and we're unpicking it and we're trying things and very very fortunate with um, and a brilliant cannon manager with Jack Lester that is like, just be brave, don't play safe, let's see how we go with it. So, so yeah, so that's that's reason why, really, I just wanted to know the how and the why and challenge some of the things that we, we see in football and we just presume it's a certain thing. And when you start looking at the neuroscience, it really does start opening your eyes a little bit into what we see and what we do and why we do what we do and also what we're stuck in, like what, what things we're actually stuck in as well and what the science and why we're not working with the science enough for me. Um, so, yeah, so that's, so it's, it's gathering momentum. I think you're right. People are getting interested in it. Um, so, yeah, so we'll see how, where it goes. But, yeah, that's, that's, I just wanted to know the how and the why. Yeah, no, brilliant. Really. Uh, for me, you know, I, I, it's, I, it's something that I've been quite interested in the last few years myself and like, similar to yourself and when I did the advanced youth forward a few years ago, it was definitely something that kind of, further piqued my interest in it um yeah but I guess you know you, you just come back to what you what you started off with there you said that you know you obviously finished the youth award you went on to the pilot of the advanced youth award um and then obviously now you're in a role where actually you're getting to I guess implement it on a daily basis if you like so what was it initially that you maybe felt ah okay there's some good ideas here and you know going back to maybe the start of the AYA or even coming off the back of the initial youth award that you were doing then that maybe still didn't quite make sense to you until you got further down the line, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it was just, we were in the skill centres and I can remember playing as they were in um, Howden. We had a skill centre at Howden, which is obviously just outside of going into Hull. And um, the boys there, we didn't have no girls in that centre. Um, and the boys there, they just they just were flourishing. Like, they, they were a good group. We implemented a lot. Um, and they just were flourishing as children and as players and Hull City, we had a strong link with Hull City because that were the only club that were in that area for us um, and a lot of the boys were going into Hull City and flourishing and that, and I think that were just and I'd be sitting work and we'd start talking around um, like mood lifts or confidence or concentration or, and I'd think to myself but where does it come from? How do we foster it? What does it build? Like, and nobody could tell me like We'd be sat in a and they'd go, oh, mood lift, like jump from a three to a seven and go for a walk. And I'd be like, yeah, I get that. But like, what's the re what's the science behind it? Like, I want to know why in the house. So, and that's what all it was. And it was just, and then it's just gather momentum. And I've just carried on with it. But for me, 
I think it's vital, like my PhD is a professional doctorate, so it's actually application. And I think that's been amazing for me. Um, very fortunate with Chef United that, that they've allowed me just to crack on with everything. So we try things, we implement it, the staffing are brilliant, like they've all bought into it, they're all trying things. So seeing it now in application and seeing what's happening and unpicking it with a lot of people, um, it's definitely brought the content jump forward massively, which I'm so like thankful for really that we're, we're applying it. So yeah, the, the content's now jumping and jumping and jumping quite quick all the time in application. Brilliant. And you know, you've talked there, you said, mentioned it a couple of times there about unpicking it and seeing it now being in, in action. What does that actually look like then? You know, because there's a, probably a lot of coaches listening to thinking, right, okay, we get a lot of the four corner stuff, this kind of the social psych stuff, but you know, what does that look like when you're now looking at it from a neuroscience lens, if you like? Yeah, so a little bit in the sense of, so Chef United have a mantra, outfight, outrun, outplay. So my area is the outfight. So we're very much around a curriculum. So we don't stick to a psychological framework as very much bespoke. So ours is, is set in the outfight program um, and it's around behaviours and what we need for children to um, be successful on and off the pitch. So ours, we don't go on a psychological framework how the neuroscience links in and fits in is we've just changed some of our age bandings. So some of our age bandings have just changed. But basically on a, on a daily day basis, um, we have structure boards, we have check-ins, we have um, understanding of um, weekly learning. Our like MDT team have a good concept of it with language. We also have um, our analysis team look and focus on how boys learn boys are relational learners we sometimes struggle with how we look at boys and how we govern boys and social cultural things um for me i think jack's sick of me saying it but sociology is probably the oneology that's missing out of football for me um so we look and unpick that we've just changed our culture so um we've gone our offices have got trees in well the trees are coming uh, our uh, our desks are all collaboration desks. Um, we've got some murals coming that are all landscaped with trees. And so it's around environment stuff first. Um, so things on how neuroscience affects our brains in creativity and calmness. Then we've got some bits around how we create some structure and safety um, for to provide then a um we did a big day with Mustafa Sack. We had a big culture day a few weeks ago. We had some sociological things. Mustafa Sack are doing around psych, uh, psychological safety and high performance high support. So we're looking at what structurally do we put in below the surface before then we start to challenge them on the pitch for high challenge high support. Um, conversations are happening daily. Um, goalkeeper bolt-on unit. We have a parent engagement programme, understanding around the neuroscience elements of behaviours what children say, what's the behaviours that come out that we parents might need to be aware of. We're doing some quite a big stuff on the adolescent brain. Like I said, we've changed the, the, the age bandings. We're looking at transition nights. We're doing some stuff on feelings and trackers, uh, on transitional objects. Um, so, yeah, there's loads of things going off. Some stuff around and with the 23s and 18s around understanding themselves. So a lot of my room at the minute, I've just been to the 23s game today, which play Coventry. Um, and it's around the boys understanding um, that um, 
feelings and emotions are normal how we work with them and work and sense into them is how it is performance and what's your optimal level a good stress level to over arousal or under arousal and then how some of them suppress emotions and if they go wandering in games or they're not in their green zone so our boys talk around green and red so today when our players come out he's like green zone Zali I'm like yes green zone so the boys are starting to have an understanding of the bodies and the brains what happens in games how that affects them what's the strategies to come out with that um so yeah so it's 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 other it's quite um structurally sometimes especially in the school boys program in the 18s 23s there's some structure stuff in there but it's very much around and knowing themselves a little bit more and then 12 to uh, the school boys program is very much around the coaches a lot of the coaching staff because we've got a lot of coaches around there the more that they are understanding around the body and the brain and some of the neuroscience, the more they can, can connection, the more that they're hitting neurological development. And we kind of talk around like connection before correction us. So we, we, we're trying to do all that. And I think my, a lot of people said to me, what's your job? And we had a good Wednesday afternoon debate last week around the table. And I think sometimes my job is just to throw a different lens on a situation um instead of getting stuck sometimes on and Stuart Sanka I love his his stuff and he talks around you see a child differently you see a different child so I sometimes throw a different lens on what some of the behaviors are what we get stuck into thinking around so so yeah so as a practical element we've got some practical stuff as a CPD element we've got some differences in phases and then we've got some little bits around some conversations and some work with individual players and also little WhatsApp groups that I drop, drop little things into for conversations. But yeah, everybody's, it's a joined up approach for us. And we're going, we're trying to get to more of a um, psychologically safe environment and a psych and socially informed environment rather than a psychologist or whatever. It's a, a joined up approach in the three mantra areas. That's no, brilliant. I think there's, there's, a, there's a lot in there. I mean, I'll start with, you, know, you talk there about, <laughs> and please correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong in my understanding, but you, know, you talk there a lot about how it's very much about becoming more conscious about what we do. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of coaches who maybe do a certain thing and, you know, coming back to where you've maybe just embarked on this journey yourself. Yeah, I, I get what we're doing, but why does it work? Yeah. Work. Um, and what, and yeah. what's science behind this? And I think there's probably a lot of people that could be listening to this and, um, and you know, and thousands that aren't going to be listening to this that are in a similar boat in that they're constantly doing things that either A, because maybe it's something that they've been through uh, something they've observed yeah. someone else do or um, they just haven't as you put it looked looked at it through a different lens so I mean yeah. what are some of the things that you maybe because obviously you, you talk a lot about changing the culture at the club um, and I'm sure that you know that's just one of the challenges that you might face in, in, in this in this journey and the way you implement things what's the I mean yeah what's the reception been like amongst the staff and coaches and have you had any challenging conversation with coaches that maybe are not really bought into the idea of what you're doing yet? Because maybe it's not so much they don't believe in it, but they don't know enough about it. Yeah. Do you know what? Uh, it's really, everybody asks me that. And um, I haven't got the actual why behind it, but um, Jack had been messaging for a while for the cup for about six months before uh, I decided, before we had the redundant before we had the restructure at work, 
And we threw on some little bits out and that, and he kept saying, you know, are you still happy at the FA? Do you fancy coming to work? And they were like, no, I'm fine. And so when we started with the restructure, I went in for six weeks and I just went in one day uh, for, for about six weeks, just sat chatting. They didn't really know why we were there. And I just thought, obviously, like just having a little watch. And then um, since I've gone in, I don't know if it's because, because my background's coaching, and obviously, a license, AYA, my qualifications, and I can't pick out the technical detail, and I still work for back for the FA. I don't know if that's some of the when we talk about social theories, some of the capital I've gone in with. Obviously, Jack brought me in, so that's some more kind of capital that he's he's kind of pushing this and wants the buy in. Um, I've had to be patient. So first couple of three months, I was very much just observing. And I'd drop conversations and it were all around conversations. And at some point I used to think, I feel like I'm not earning my money today, like I'm not doing enough. But it were all just around connecting, all around getting to know the, the people in the club, getting to know um, thought process, how they work, what's their lens that they look at, what's their background that they are. And it were very much around conversations and then it was me dropping things in, just dropping things in. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to pause you for a second, take a step back. You talked there about having those conversations and, and seeing what lens yeah. the coach is looking for at the present. What are some of the questions and the challenges that you're maybe putting in front of that coach for them to maybe start identifying that? Because I feel from my experience working as a coach and even as a coach educator, a lot of coaches maybe have the answers in here but I've never been conscious about certain answers that they might have if you like because maybe they've never actually been asked the question which requires that answer or has challenged them to go to the depth of their thoughts do you know what we're only starting to get to that point I think the last month or two I think the first six seven months it were very much around me just connecting with them so just really just getting to know them dropping like I'd send WhatsApp little articles or WhatsApp little pictures or you know just to kind of like oh this is back of our like, on the back of our conversation I thought you might be interested in this and it just added some more conversations I think what's happened is because it's a new concept and because I started to draw some bits and pull some things together they've started to see um the benefit in what's happening in front of them so because now they start to see some of the benefits of some of the players and we have the conversations and we always pull it back to the coaching and the football. So it's all always comes back to the football and, and, and the coaching and how to help the child to become or the player in performance or whatever we are. And, and I think that really helps. I think open-mindedness of the staff, um, I think it's lot led by Jack. So he, you know, how he has brought me in and then how we, where we're going to go. And I think because I can link it back to the football, we tend to have the buy-in. Um, and like I said, we did a big culture day a few, uh, a couple of months back now, August time, and we're just unpicking different things, trying to go something a bit different. Uh, we can't compete with um, the big boys in money and facilities. So what are we going to be? And probably the, we'll try and be the best coach developers we can be. So to develop our players and 
create that psych and socially informed environment that actually develops the players above the surface, but also neurologically below the surface. And I think for me, that's really hard in the sense of I can't, I can't manage, I can't um, get data on it in a sense of like the data and the SNC and the data science and high running speed and all that. All we can do is understand around what the science is telling us to what it gives us. And also then once we start seeing and believing and when players start to develop themselves or the learnings elemented. So our goalkeeper programme um, that we have is a bolt on. Like the goalkeeper coaches have seen that the kids are more engaged, the learnings, the learnings like accelerating. So because of that, then you get more buy-in and then they want to do more of it and then it's unpicking it. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been, a, I've, I've had to learn to be patient there's loads of things I could have gone and done. Um, but the prop, the thing for me is, and I had a, a really good chat uh, with Pippa Grange a, a couple of months back, and she just said to me, you'll probably not know the impact until you've left. And my impact of what I think around when I leave is, um, is I want the coaches, wherever they go to, or the academy to wherever they go to, to have all the knowledge or to have the knowledge that will keep that process going. So if I left, it shouldn't be the fact that then they don't understand the neuroscience and that they don't aware of why they do what they do. And that's, I think, comes back to uh, what you said is totally right. And um, we talk around now purposeful. So everything's got to be purposeful. So what are the purposeful interactions with the children? Because purposeful, purposeful interactions and being present with the players develops neurological development. So we can either just have interactions or which is surface level, or we can have purposeful interactions and be present with our players, which helps develop our nervous system in our brain and our stress response system, which in turn helps us to make more decisions, be able to be able to refocus and focus, be more composed in demanding games, and we can challenge them more on the grass. Simple just as that. That word there, purposeful, is a word that I like to use a lot as well. And it, it, for me, it just kind of, in a nutshell, just basically says, right, have a think about what you're doing before you do it. Yeah. Don't just go in and, uh, you know, especially for coaches, don't just go in and say something unless you know exactly what you're going to say uh, and the reason why you're saying it. Um, even if you feel like there's something that needs to be said, if you don't know what's going to be said, you're better off just not, you're not, not bothering it. Because um, on that note, though, being purposeful, the interactions, being purposeful, and, you know, coming back to the scenario that you gave, you said that you know, there was a player that you, 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 you love and adore now. Um, but it used to give you a lot of a lot of difficulties. Um, and I'm sure that there's yeah. a, a whole host of coaches and people in, in a similar boat at some point in their journeys. How do you overcome that? Because quite often from my observations, especially if you're maybe a, a newer coach or less experienced coach, um, and not always a less experienced coach, but if you're new to the world of maybe helping people develop because you know you might be coming from a completely different background if you've got a teaching background you might already have the skill set required for coaching if you like in some ways yeah. um, but what would you say to those people who are out there thinking right I've got that difficult player that person is difficult so I'm just going to ignore that and just focus on everyone yeah. else if that makes sense because that, that it does happen quite a lot and quite often it's well it's interesting I was having this debate with uh, one of my friends the other day we've been having this debate for the last two three years now um, that is it that some players or some people, whether they be players, coaches, whoever, just don't get it? Or is it because, I don't know, for lack of a better way of describing it, 
there's a car key, a door key, uh, a key for a padlock. But actually the lock that that person has is, is one of the three keys that we don't have access to at this point. Yeah. In time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, a couple of things with that. Um, so we've just wrote a new vision at, at Chef United and um, the first bit is around unique individuality. So we need to look at every child as a unique individual uh, instead of blanket approach on some of the psychology stuff. So unique individual for once. So everybody's background and first three years of life is massive on attachment. So a lot of behaviours that come later on is from children wanting to know whether you're going to attach with them or you're going to tune to them or you're going to keep them safe. Simple as that. So every behaviour, there's always something that's driving the behaviour for them. So when we then just go like, all right, you're over there and we don't try to uh, attune to them or attach to them or try and keep them to feel safe, then the relationship's never going to get together. And boys particularly get stuck in ruptures. So um, they don't tend to want to repair relationships. So there's all that that comes into it. I think for me, a couple of things is um, when you've got a child that is, or a player that is dysregulated, uh, or misbehaving if we start to dysregulate because that person's kind of like hitting our buttons then we can't help to regulate them so a dysregulated adult can't dis can't help to dis to regulate a dysregulated child just on that then are you, are you referring to maybe the, the construct of the environment that we're setting and that it's being not necessarily equal but fair to everyone within 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 their own whatever differences they may have so for instance when you come into this environment this is the expectation and that's set across the board yeah a little bit yeah so there's some clear boundaries but we're recognizing that everybody's unique and individual and what their experience have been beforehand will show precedent in their 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 behaviors now and i think for me if you look at the neuroscience through a neuroscience lens there's a word called neuroception. It's Stephen Porges' work through polyvagal theory. And he talks around that, and this is prevalent in car journeys. So when uh, somebody is in connection with somebody else, so say the primary caregiver or a caregiver with a child, not have to be parents, and they're bringing them to training and they're, or they're bringing them to a, a big game, their emotional states subconsciously will affect the children outside of them subconsciously. So through neuroception, you can affect other people's nervous systems and brains. So coming back to when we kind of don't get in connection or we keep them at arm's length or we kind of, they start uh, firing our buttons. And through neuroception, we're going to interfere in, any bit in other people's ones as well. So relationship of the coach with a player, relationship of players to players. So quite a lot of our players are now understanding who needs that little bit of a smile we've got a couple of players in our team that give a smile so it's kind of helping with threat detection who needs a little bit of this and it's around understanding that my self-awareness or my bodily um, systems will affect subconsciously other people through neuroception so and that's kind of quite we're doing quite a lot of work with our parents around so one of our um, three headings in our out fight is around ownership and we're trying to ask our parents to become more self-aware and own their own emotions. So own their own emotions in the car journeys, because that's one of the major things that come out, own your own emotions side of the pitch. Um, 
and also it, there's all that little bits that so going back to your question I don't know if I'll answer it but if yeah. we kind of that child whatever behavior they are there's no attention seeking behavior for me they're all trying to either attach to tune or are you going to keep me safe so there's all them kind of behaviors so if we kind of keep them at arm's length this is going to keep them behaviors because they want to know what's going on so we don't do really well in uncertainty we do we do really well in Certain if we've got certainty with uncertainty, if you know what I mean, but not uncertainty, uncertainty. So, so yeah. Taking back a few moments, few moments, you talked about that that neuroception, and yeah, I guess something that was buzzing off in my head was how, um, if any difference at all, to what to what extent is the impact of that neuroception on you know you know the individuals around that person if the feelings or the emotions and the mood that the, that person is in is not actually related to so let's say, for instance, I'm your caregiver. We're going to a game, but actually, I've got things going on in my head that have got nothing to do with your game or whatever you're about to experience. Yeah. Is, there, is there a difference, or is it just this is it across the board? Your mood's going to affect my mood, and vice versa. If you're in connection, you can have a massive difference in in, in influencing other people's um, neuroception. So. If you think a neuroception is this, when you go into a restaurant, you will pick the safest spot. So some people will like the face out in, so they can see the exit and some are quite happy with the back towards the exit. So we had a big, our, our offices obviously got changed to a big collaboration table in the middle. Everybody still sits in the same spots the first day that they sat down. And the spot, there's like 27 seats around this table, but they all sit at the same one because it's where you feel most safe. So it's done out of your conscious awareness a lot of the time with what we can pick up on, but it will still affect and will have an effect on the chemicals and the reactions and how it kind of gets your body onto threat alert, ready to fight, flight, or freeze, basically. No, but, yeah. I totally get it. I think it's incredible stuff because, like I say, when you start to look at the science behind it and you start to understand, oh, there's, it's so complex. Um, and, you know, just to say, you're doing a great job in simplifying that as well, by the way. Um, on that, though, Obviously, you know, you've got you've got access to a lot of resources um, in the environment you're working in. There's probably going to be a lot of coaches who might not have that environment. Um, what are some of the steps that maybe they could start taking to start to maybe implement some of this stuff on a, on a very basic level, if, if at all, any? Yeah, I mean, as the, the application into it started in grassroots and we haven't got millions of brilliant resources at Chef United and we've got to be creative and that's what I love about it. Um, and I, I did a lot of this. We a couple of years ago, um, our at Bells, Donkster Bells, as head of coaching, and did a little bit of the culture work there. Um, so, and we had we had no money, uh, and most of ours were volunteers. So, for me, there's a lot of stuff around. So, I talk around um, structure boards is massive. So, when children come into a session and they say to you, "What we're we doing tonight? Who we're playing at the weekend?" If they're asking them questions, they can't focus on what's coming because they're anxious about what's coming next. So that's why we had a lot of problems in lockdown because we lost of structure. So a lot, of, quite a lot of children need structure. So a structure board, when they come in, basic, just telling them on a little whiteboard, arrival at seven. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? 
Grimly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Vital activity 7 till 15. Session 7.15 till 7.45. Game and home. Simple as that. And it helps with some of the creating the, the safety nets underneath the surface for learning. A couple other things. Arrival activities. We have a play circuit in our brain that links into our nervous system. If children have had wet play, then we need there's an innate need to play. So our research shows us 10 to 15 minutes of an arrival activity. That's why we promote them quite heavily at the FA. Is helps to, to relax the vagus nerve, open up the, the thinking capacity, and gets us into connection with the people. So it's hitting some of the dopamine levels. So that again, that's ready for learning. So research shows behavior goes down and learning goes up. So you've got structure bars, arrival activity. Also, personal greetings. Personal greetings by a name. Think around what name hits and when you get somebody's name wrong or you spell or somebody spells your name wrong in an email. It, you know, you get frustrated. So a name and a greeting to show that you care hits the nervous system in the brain again. So three things before you even start. And then it's around checking in with them. So we do a lot about check-ins. Then there's some things around what game design you're going to do. So what practice design you're going to get. A lot of play activities. Again, you're learning because your play circuit is activated, your nervous system's activated. So it helps for learning. That's why we a lot of game-based stuff yeah and then check out and then when you then when you do your learning and then you check out you're creating a loop for safety so that's the same when we have a lot of, when we talk around funerals after somebody's passed away it it loops that bit of grief for us to then process the next step so you have a step of arrival personal greeting structure board sessions check out and it gets the loop back of the of the neurological stuff Sure, and it, it, it makes complete sense. And I guess one of the things that kind of we, we, we spoke about last time we had a conversation was actually yeah. how to maybe use that structure um, and potentially impact on the practice design. So I guess the question from that is, is there particular practice setups or types of sessions that maybe um, you know, pro provoke a more positive response than others? Um, obviously we want to try and create something that is engaging as possible, but is there certain types of things that just, if you like, don't work or have, have a have limited uh, um, effect? Um, I wouldn't like to say yes or no. However, I'm going to put something in that for me with the outfight, we do a lot of, I do some practical with our boys and the things that help with our boys is around putting them into a situation which is under loads and overloads and small intensive games. So 3v3s, 4v3s, 5v3s, 6v4s, whatever. And so we put them into a situation where we frame it before. I think framing is brilliant and, and very much we talk around framing with the boys. So we frame it. So boys, we're going to do this game we're meeting at 15 minutes. We're going to be six against four. And it's going to get frustrating because the game is frustrating. We're going to practice it. 
and then we're going to and I'm going to be here to help you with it. So when we talk around then, how are you feeling? Is it frustrating? How does it make you then think? So we talk through the process a little bit. So for, for me, practice design, if I go down the lane of what helps neurological, then I would say small-sided, um, underloads and overloads, and framing of sessions to help them understand the emotions and feelings that they're going through. And that's what we tend to do. So we tend to bring the practical, the, the, the theory stuff into the practical forum. Um, and the coaches then support with that. So then it's an ongoing process. So for me, I know we had about practice design, but for psychosocial elements, we did it the other day with the 18s and just a session with Dale and, and, I was so, and we had to rotate some of the boys on and off to get the overload and underload. And it gave me a chance at the side just to kind of say, right, how, what were you thinking in there? And we talk about red and green zone with the boys. So when we're in your red, when you're in your green, could you feel it? Yeah. Can you notice when other people are now? Yeah. How do you get yourself out of it? What we're going to practice? And the more that they're in the green zone in a quite intense session and uploads and underloads, their thinking gets quicker and their stress response gets stretched. So they've got more in the bucket, basically. And they can see things quicker, make quicker decisions. And the learning's heightened because in the green zone, your planning, your decision-making, your problem-solving, your learning's heightened. And then when they go back on the 11 side, they've got more time on the ball, they can make better decisions, and also they've developed stuff that we see above the surface, but also what's below the surface in their stress response. So, yeah, so for me, putting them into them situations and framing it and asking them how they feel and understanding that, and when they're thinking, when they're not thinking, is vital for me for developing kind of more decision-makers and more... Yeah players that got to be at court with the demands of the game and then obviously of life but demands of the game I think it's a great point it's something that I've again I've not done any research on this I've just been playing around with my delivery um, and it's this idea of maybe play, getting players to pay more attention to how they're feeling not just physically not just uh, emotionally but mentally in, in, in a situation so uh, I guess for a very basic example if we're doing a I don't know, passing and receiving exercise and I'll be throwing some pressure on opposition players. At what point do I start to feel maybe, I don't even know if it's the right emotion, but a bit of anxiety because of the pressure of this defender? Yeah. Um, is it when they're maybe three yards from me? Is it when they're four yards from me? And I, I guess, again, without any real science or, or, or backing it, I've just been playing around with this idea and helping players to maybe become more conscious and self-aware of the situation they're in to the point where they might request it at a certain point now because they do recognise actually when I've got this four yards as opposed to the three yards yeah. I'm not as anxious so I can actually request it without feeling anxious about it or and then gradually as you've kind of said it there you know keep working on that keep exposing into those different elements so that eventually yeah. bandwidth of anxiety is or anxiety fight back if you like um, it just increases and it, I think and it's all yeah. going back to what you said about individuality understanding that every single player is going to have a different bandwidth for that to come for that to be carried out yeah definitely and I think a couple of things for me we've got stuck in a world of good and bad emotions and they're not they're just feelings and emotions and once the boys realize that they're just feelings and emotions and work with them um we work with them and got a great clip on Gundula talking around being anxious, you know, being nervous, sorry, before Champions League semi-final with all the Man City players and but use it as excitement. And 
they've got to explain sensing. So what you're saying around sensing in and catching it is really what we need them to do so they can catch it. They're not gonna they're not gonna go through a game or life without experiencing emotions. And if they do, they suppress. And what happens with suppressing, it comes up later on. And that's where you get where you get some children that go wandering in games, go missing in games, go daydreaming. They suppress emotion, which actually sometimes is worse than actually fight flight response. It's a freeze response. But if they can start to catch it and be able to sense in and then work with it, they can stop themselves going into that state for longer, which then there's no decision making or planning or predicting happening. They're just chasing the ball. So we talk around uh, our individual coach talks the other day about as the ball arrives, we've got to arrive. And if they're not in their green zone, they'll arrive or they'll set off when the other players took the touch. So for me, there's a big thing around suppressing of emotion. And the more the boys can sense in and be able to catch it and work with it and understand that emotions and feelings are normal, you're going to have it in games. And anxiety is probably the biggest emotion in a game. And once they start understanding why that is and being more self-aware, they can work with it better. Um, and it's a process. You need about 500 repetitions to change a neurological pathway. But a lot of a lot of boys in academy systems sometimes will suppress emotion. So we need it's and it's around if I show this emotion that I'm not coping, yeah. am I not good enough for this system? When really emotions and feelings are normal. It's how then we work with them and understand them. And the more, like you said, about catching them and sensing in. The better, the better we get then on, on performance and understanding around what makes us happy, what makes us sad, how we work with that. We're all that's that's the same with everybody. Yeah. So I mean, just as you're talking, I'm just thinking about all the players that maybe do get anxiety because they're even just thinking, actually, I can't let this emotion out. I can't express myself in this way because it might be perceived in a certain way, and maybe the person looking at me has got the wrong lens on at that moment in time. But I guess, and, and not, you know, just to kind of maybe get your insights, then you know. Another thing that I do try and do is not only get them to pay attention to how they're feeling, like I said, mentally and emotionally, but physically. How is the how's the physical the movement and the movement pattern of a certain technique and how does yeah. that play on their psyche? Do do they how can I put it? If I'm if I've if I've if I've got a player or if I've been working with a player in the past and they and they feel that it's I'm maybe bringing on a potentially new technique for them to try out or we're maybe working on a technique to find out what's right for them. Yeah. Really try and get them to pay attention to, right, how does that make you feel as you're performing this technique and what feels right for yeah. your body? I mean, how, how much of how much of that is linked to maybe some of the stuff that you talk about and um, or is it just purely psychological? And obviously that there is a link to psycho, uh, psych and physical, but, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so so first thing is feelings are really good to kind of attach something to. So um I always use the analogy of people probably can't remember the day that Princess Anna died, but they probably remember where there was or you know how they felt, and also same with like a song that reminds you of something. So feelings etch into your nervous system. Every experience we have gets stored into your brain, into your body, into your nervous system. So the feelings of that is what gets stored in it. Um, the big thing for me is, is and I, I touched on it on the first little bit, um, we played a few weeks ago and um, the, some of the comments after the game from some of the boys might have been, oh, uh, my legs were heavy, um, I couldn't run, I think I was loading too much. And then we played the following week 
and we were played against a higher cat, playing really well, come in and first question was, how's your legs feeling? So I like prompted, so Jack said, how was your legs feeling? Yeah, 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 fine, fine, fine. So that was brilliant for me because when we went into the classroom a few days later, I'm like, boys, this is your nervous system in your brain. This is how it links. This is where your nervous system goes. Um, when things are working really well for you, I went, your legs are not heavy. I said, so when people say you get your second wind, it's not, it's your, your physiological response. So have you talked around then, your physiological responses, because your nervous system in your brain, through your vagus nerve, through your, some, some, your nervous system and other little bits, is all connected. So when we're in the green, as face is connected, we can, as eye movements moving, we can smile, we can also plan, we can reflect, we can problem solve, we can decision make, and our breathing's regulated. So yeah, we'll have impacts of the game, but our breathing's regulated. When we get out of this state, it goes into either orange or red, and I've got like a graph on which I show the boys, and the red goes all into our legs. So when I centre forward, and you can see some of the behaviours now, and I can tag them for the boys, if they're in the red zone, the centre sometimes pull the shots past the left-hand side of the post, if they're on the right-hand side. If they're in the green zone, they'll tend to stick it in the bottom corner, so there's a pattern there now that we can see on, and it all interacts because of your nervous systems all over your body. So your leg movement and your action, all in things. It was interesting, um, Billy Gilmore, when they played, played um, England versus uh, Scotland at the Euros. And first 20 minutes, the commentators kept saying, oh, you know, he needs to settle into the game, or I hope he gets second wind. Well, it's his first start for Scotland, and he's playing Wembley against England in the Euros. So for me, it's not around getting his second wind. It's around the fact that he's out of his green zone into his red zone. So his heart rate's increased. His body is not thinking, so the ball will just go and then he'll, he'll move. Um, and that's the thing. When you're in your green, you can scan and plan. So the ball's travelling, we're travelling. When you're out of your red, uh, when you're out of your green and you're in your red, as the ball's travelling then, we'll track the ball and then we'll move. So you, you still have the movement, but there's no thinking, there's no problem solving, no planning. So when we talk around like actions or the legs or how they're feeling, it, and confidence for me is the same. Like they'll say, oh, confidence is a confidence play. It's not, it's a stress response system for me that if it's regulated, if it's in the green or if it's in the red, that's how it affects your brain and your body. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of now where, we, we're, where we're going with it and it does affect actions for me. Brilliant. You know, I think, um, you know, I've had a smile on my face for like of me because I'm just thinking as you're talking and, and something. So again, not science backed. It just this is just a theory that I've got. Um, so I'm I'm quite passionate about. I'd say one of my strongest areas and my key areas of focus is probably on practice design, and I guess trying to create more game game like practices which replicate as many yeah. realistic scenarios as possible. Um, literally game like. Um, I guess over the years I've tried to think okay is there certain factors that actually have an impact on whether players you know like practices or they don't like practices is, is it certain factors that maybe might be age related that and what I've what I've settled on is that actually players don't really care what the practice is as long as there's an element of competition it's intensity um, and there's a bit of transition involved I think if I've if designed a practice with those three components in there to start with I've not I've not I've 
not yet had a complaint about the practice. And I used to think it was predominantly because I used to work with older players, 16 to 19s. I thought, okay, this is just going to work for them. But then I had some other experiences where I worked with younger players and I applied the same principles and it works. But the theory that I've come up with now is that actually it's not necessarily the, uh, the actions or the behaviours they're carrying out specifically in the practice that's actually changing anything or getting hooking them, if you like. Um, it's interesting. I was having this conversation and I said, okay, my, my thought is that it's not so much the action they're doing or the behaviour, it's actually the emotion or the feeling, if you like, that they're actually receiving or experiencing off the back of doing xyz that we need to focus on and rather than say okay you know i've put on this practice here there's a little dribble and there's a finish on the end of it sally loved that because there was a dribble and a finish well not actually why did she love the finish with the dribble what was it about that was it because it made her feel confident was it because actually the, the, the sense of scoring a goal gave her a sense of excitement and enjoyment and then look at the emotions that maybe some of the elements of your practice are working towards creating and look for ways to recreate those emotions does, does that make sense yeah i think so yeah <laughs> so i've not done this okay fine so what is the emotion that this person is uh for lack of a better way of describing chasing in this practice or chasing in this session um and how can i recreate that emotion for them rather than looking at the action which it took initially to get that um emotion if, if that makes sense yeah I think if I look at it through a science or through a neuroscience lens, it's the it's the hit of the dopamine that they want in. So we have a centre forward that just loves to scar, like that's why he just loves, he loves to scar. And it's the dopamine hit. And it's what's the dopamine hit, it's not a, a hit, it's the perceived anticipation of the reward you're gonna get. So um, so and that's why a lot of footballers or sports people struggle when they've left the sport because it's the anticipation of the hit. So that's why we have a lot of trouble then later on when if we're going to gambling or drinking or whatever, because they get, they're getting them the hits of the dopamine of the what the anticipation of the reward that's going to come from the play. And also then certain elements of, we've got obviously play circuit that children and, and people still want to play. So adults still want to play, but our play might be slightly different. So they've got the play circuit once that's hitting. Obviously, then we're in a different neurostate neuro and our nervous system's regulated. So our emotions are going to be more regulated and more prominent because we're in the green state. So, yeah. Awesome. So there's basically, yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some truth behind how it works. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I guess, you know, as we look to kind of round up then, in terms of that, you know something that you've obviously mentioned throughout the conversation and I think I've, I've picked up on is obviously there's, there's certain language that you're using i.e the green zone the red zone there's certain term, terminology terminologies that you've used and um, that's probably quite common within the industry of neuroscience to, or within the science of it um, but also you've obviously tried to implement that in your environment at Sheffield United and wherever else you may have been I guess how much attention and I'm sure, I'm sure I know the answer to this and I know what you're going to say, but how much attention should be paid to that language and how, how much involvement should maybe the players or the people within the environment also have within that, whether that be to express how those words or those, those terms maybe are A, perceived for them and B, 
the meaning of them from, you know, if you're coming in and implementing something, how important is it that you understand how it's perceived from them to start with and whether it's something they've had a maybe positive or negative experience with in the past, if that, if you like. Yeah. yeah, I think for me that it's not the, the language I use at Chef Night is not really common language because if I go in all the science, um, for one, I'm not a neuroscientist, so I don't I, I don't know all the big words myself. So for me, it's just around understanding um, the basic of the neuroscience and how then that helps the players to learn and performance and the coaches to interact better. So the red and the blue, the red and the green is just something that we've come into just having at the Chef United, and it's become a terminology that we've gotten. And it's, it's helped me, and that's the major thing that I've said. It's, it's helped me to kind of... I'm quite, I'm quite comfortable with the fact that it's a very complex subject and it can't, be, it can't be simple, but we can simplify it down to help to understand a little bit and application. So the red and the greens, there's a lot of things out there. So, like, you've got the Kimp paradox that he, he's got his own model. Um, it's, not, um, it's just something that we've just got at Chef United is red and green. And that's how we've, we've worked it. So it's not a scientific model. It's not probably used in neuroscience at all because it's too, too simplistic for it. But um, but going back to your, what we second bit of your question around the, the wording and yeah. then you talked yeah. around what else. How important it is. Oh, language. Sorry. Language. Yeah, language. So we've there's, we've got some clear language in our outplay stuff that Jack's come up with wherever. But we've got, yeah, the language for me... The language sits on different things as well. So um, I'm a big thing around um, playing across the age groups or playing with. Um, so it's getting the language out there. So like that's one of the things that that I always, they, they'll stop themselves from doing that or they'll correct themselves. So it's just an in-joke within the academy a little bit. But language is massive. We have a leadership group. So we have the boys to unpick some things for us. What does it feel? Set their own language and what what we're going to come out with that. Um, language for me, there's a lot of a lot of, around around language whispering. So what language we use? So quite a lot of my training that I had with Thrive were around wings. So I'm wondering, imagine, notice, guessing, seeing because this hits parts of our brain and our nervous system that then don't put us into fight, flight, or freeze. So we're having a connection element of being able to plan and reflect and. I'll say this to coaches all the time. You might have an argument, and then an hour later you go, "Why didn't I say that when I said that?" Because you're out of your thinking. Whereas when we use language like wondering, imagine, notice, guessing, seeing, then you're hitting the nervous system and the care system in the brain, which then helps us to be in the moment to reflect. So, big thing for me is language. Um, language also about listening to what language gets said. So, what's the meaning behind certain words that get said to you? Um, we have a common language in quite a lot of the technical and the outfight stuff. Um, but yeah, there's there's a kind of some connotation. So language for me in the MDT team and the and the analysis team is slightly different because they're hitting kind of their learning parts and helping to connect. Then we've got certain language that we use around subconsciously, so other foot across. Um, certain bits that we use then in the coaching just to kind of have a subconscious element of the hitting it then we've got some elements of around hitting the nervous system in the brain so language for me is massive for definite 
but I don't know if I've answered your question, yeah, but yeah, but we've no, got certain language. Yeah. Definitely, I think it's just um, yeah, just more more looking at you know how important that language is, and I guess the, the small piece I was really maybe pushing for it or pushing on a little bit more was whether how important or maybe to what extent the conversations take place with individuals or, or collectively around their experiences of certain language and certain terminologies. You know, I, I say to coaches all the time, you know, football is, is football, that's not going to change. But actually, we can actually complicate things so much ourselves because we all use different language to describe different situations. Um, and if you yeah. the player's journey, as an example, they might have gone from, they, they might have been fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to have one coach the whole way through is actually just stuck with the same yeah. terminology or they might have been again fortunate or unfortunate after have experienced about 10 different coaches who all who all speak differently yeah. um you know so you know it's just maybe understanding to what extent a their experience has been with certain language and terminology uh, and whether it's been a positive or yeah. negative experience with that and and how that might impact on them now if that makes sense yeah i think um we've got certain terminology that we come out in our, in our technical syllabus and Jack's Jack and the coach have done quite a lot of work with their children around understanding what that is. And it's very, there is some, some elements of some key words that kind of links into learning and the neuroscience. And that wasn't my doing at all. That's just, they'd done that before. And so that were all very much their doing. Um, But when I look at it through a neuroscience lens, they've got kind of a lot of like, little words it's like the same of like the catch it kill it bin it kind of thing with the government there's always three catchy words that's that I'm into around like the neuroscience stuff of how that implements in our brain but we're not going to that um so it's like socialization stuff but yeah um but I think they've got that and we do that um I think if I was to do it with a, a new team the connotations of what words mean is definitely a major player um i think we sometimes don't understand or no not understand i think language becomes um we, we sometimes don't understand what gets stored in certain people's nervousness and brains so what gets said to them um so i know we're going off topic on language but what gets said to them is how they interpret the world gets stored in their brain and their nervous system. Yeah, and, and off topic, but this is exactly where I was trying to go with it. You know, they may have experienced a certain language or terminology and actually had a very bad experience with it. Um, therefore, now if yeah. you as a new coach or someone else coming in is now using that same language. Yeah, every, everything, yeah, every experience we have is stored in our body and our brain. So if we relate it back to maybe... When I was younger, I had a bad experience with Perno. So I don't go near Perno now. I don't smell it. I can't stand it. It's what your body does to keep you safe. So subconsciously, every experience we have, unconsciously, is stored in our body and our brain. So when everything then, and this is why about being just curious around behaviours and being curious around what the reactions you get, because what will happen is certain words will get said or certain phrases or certain labels, especially with children. And it just reinforces what we already have got stored in our nervous system, our brain. So, so then it becomes a vicious circle of understanding then why that then impacts on our thinking, our nervous system. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah. So basically that then, there's obviously going to be times where people have a resistance to certain things. 
and sometimes it might be suppressed in point where they don't actually understand the reasons behind it because it could be such a buried memory if you like um yeah is it then important for us to a work with that individual to confront that or do we go down the path of actually okay this is causing some sort of negative feeling at this point in time um maybe we phrase it differently for that individual based on the circumstances or how would how would you go about that yeah uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know until I had that individual in front because everything's so different. The thing for me would be around using of language and sometimes you have to shine a light on behaviour and it needs to be the fact of like I've noticed this and I'm wondering if I can help you with that. Uh, so the wordings that we use is massive. Um, and like I said, being curious around it, noticing when it does happen, when it doesn't happen. Yeah. And asking questions. Like asking asking questions, the questions with the language around hitting the limbic and the the the, the nervous system, so we're not putting them into threat. Um, but yeah, every experience we've got, even our skin is starred from when we were in the womb. Everything starred in our body and our brain. So it's how we interpret the world, how we feel about the world, what we sense in around the world, um, and everybody's point of view. We had a, a good debate on it other week around. In fact, I've just sent one of our coaches a little thing today. Um, every experience we have when we... So somebody's view, we could walk past somebody and you could, you could ignore them. My experience might be, oh, I wonder if they're all right. Your experience might be, can't believe they've not just ignored me. So it's, it's everybody's yeah. how we view the world and what our experiences are and how we've been shaped through our development of our brain development and everything. It's so... it's. Behaviour, individual behaviour and human behaviour just fascinates me. And the more that you can be regulated and be present and unpick the behaviour and notice it, the more that you start to then see things differently. Mm. Uh, but we still we're still stuck sometimes in those conscious biases and what we want to see. Definitely, and I, you know, I think Sally, we could, we could probably sit here for hours and maybe go into this because this is it's just a never-ending uh, thing. I think uh, quite like yourself, you know, I'm just constantly sitting there thinking, okay, I'll, I'll, I'm asking myself a different question. Oh, well, what's the answer to this? What's the answer to this? You, you just end up in a little bit of a rabbit hole, or, or you know, uh, trying to trying to I guess just get into that soil surface that you talked about earlier. Um, but look, it's, it's been it's been a great conversation so far, and I'm and I'm sure, I'm sure the listeners would, would agree. Um, but just, you know, maybe if you could just maybe wrap up with some maybe final little tips that maybe people can think about applying within their own environments and, and some anything beyond that. Yeah, I think major thing for me is structure board um, and set some boundaries with the team. So what's expected? What do I expect? What do you think is expected of you? What do you think is expected of me? What's expected? So you have some clear boundaries. We, we like boundaries. So we've got some certainties there. So some boundaries. So we call them rights, but boundaries. So a structure board, arrival activity, um, understanding and framing about feelings and emotions uh, is a major thing for me. Um, and personal greetings before and after the session to close the loop is something that we can put in that um, doesn't seem a lot, yeah. but helps learning, uh, lowers behaviour, and he's hitting neurological development. So we're hitting what's above the surface and below the surface. And the more that we can help strengthen somebody's window of tolerance, and it's not what you're tolerant of, it's just 
your tolerance, the more that they will keep in state and optimal level than going into fight, flight or freeze. And some of those activities that they do, and if they're in connection with them and they're present and they're regulated, will help to do that anyway. So the more that you understand yourself as a coach, the more that you can neurologically help and implement and work with the children or the players, which then is building neurological development. Amazing. Basically, work on yourself if you want everyone else to get better. Yeah. And I think just be aware of the big thing for me as well, I said to coach, is what's your face saying to your players? So our threat detection system comes from our eyes to our mouth. So when we talk about the power of smile, it's actually neurologically, it's like the neuroscience is strong behind it. So when we give them a smile and a name, we're hitting the nervous system in the brain because they're seeing our threat response system, that it's engaging, that we're up for social engagement and that we're using their names in the care circuit. So I would definitely say around, think around the power of a smile because it is neuroscience strong behind that one. Amazing, amazing. And just finally, Sally, you know, if there's anyone that wants to maybe find out a little bit more about the work that you're doing, is there some way they can maybe get in touch with you or uh, look into that? Yeah, I'm active on Twitter. Um, I don't really do much else on social media. Uh, I try a little bit on LinkedIn, but not that much. But the thing, I, I do a lot on Twitter. Um, I try to repost a lot about child development and neuroscience. I don't tend to post much around what we're doing at Chef United, um, not because we try and keep it in house. It's just um, as as we do. Uh, but yeah, Twitter. I think I'm at Selling Need Three. I think. But yes, if you want to get in touch in Twitter, get in touch on Twitter. Um, and yeah, I do post bits on Twitter, but don't really um, broadcast the work at Chef United. If I'm honest. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be people getting in touch with regardless. Um, but Sally, thank you again for your time today. It's been really interesting. Um, it's definitely left me with a lot of questions a lot no problem as well um, but yeah thank you again um, have a great evening thanks Yaz you too and thanks for inviting me again lovely to chat well there you have it guys another episode of the Coaches Network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.